0: To start out tonight with a story, uh, a kind of personal story. Uh, to be honest, um, you know, my wife and I are, uh, we uh, a few months ago we were hitting this kind, of, this kind of bumpy place, if I can be honest. We were really going through something, and, and, and there's something that we felt like was really getting into our marriage. <clears throat> it's called Amazon Prime. Man, it is so easy. There's so many things that you need on Amazon Prime, amen. And it feels good when the UPS guy stops at your house and brings you a present. That's how it feels, right? So, I mean, there was a stage where it felt like every week, I mean, we had something on the doorstep every single day. Um, you know, it was, it was kind of just this trend of it felt very easy. It was so easy to just click yes and then to see that money leave the bank account just as easily and so we've really had to pull back. But during this time, we were uh, in this season. All the dads in the room are going to recognize this season. Um, uh, we were getting ready to welcome our third little boy into the world named Julian David. Sweetest little boy. He's now here. But um, in this period, my wife was experiencing something. Um, for, for moms getting ready to welcome a child, it's so special. It's a, such a special time for dads. As you know, it's, it's not very fun. It's called nesting. And so there's some little Snickers in the room. Nesting is basically when a mom prepares to welcome the child in and flips the house completely and says, I would love for us to do this. What she's saying is, will you do this? So what Jordan has asked me, my wife has asked me is, hey, will you flip the house of our bedroom and move it downstairs? And so after church one week, I was like, okay, okay. Let's just get to it. She took sudden, my two-year-old, and I, I flipped the house over. Well, she determines that our, our nightstands with our, um, our lamps on them are not tall enough. Guys, I have never experienced light that wasn't tall enough, but I, I love my wife. And so I said, okay. And um, part of this little trend of being on Amazon Prime is I, I just didn't know. She bought some sconces. If you don't know what a sconce is, I didn't either. Basically, it's this like standless light that you can, you can hold a candle, or it can hold like a battery-powered light, or you can power a light through the wall. And, um, and so we bought these battery-powered sconces that I, the problem is I, guys, I'm, I'm going to be vulnerable, Where it's a group of guys, um, I cannot stand measuring the wall and nailing things. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I, because I add way too many holes that don't need to be there, you know, that's the biggest problem is I can't, I just want, it's, there's so much pressure to add, add, you know, put it in the right place. Anyway, I've been putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. And finally, one night, uh, not too long ago, Jordan comes to me and, and very nicely, very gently just says, hey, babe, sometime in the next week, can we please put the sconces up? It's been about two months. And guys, she said it so nicely, but in my heart, I was like, Dang. You know, it, like I said, she did it very, very nicely, and yet, in my heart, I, I felt something. She was not condemning me. She was not calling me out. She was simply asking me to do it, and she just wanted it to be up. And in my heart, I realized, man, I don't like that feeling. I don't, I don't like the feeling of falling short. Now, granted, it's a very minor issue, right? The sky—I'm I'm not going to show you a picture, but the sconces look amazing. Uh, they look really, really good, but the whole point is you can have times in your life where you realize or you feel like you 're not meeting expectations in your life you in, whether in your marriage you 're in school uh, with relationships that become uh, give and take right i i 'll do this and I expect this in return and if you don 't meet someone else 's expectations, you begin to be, to wonder. What are they thinking about me? The problem with this is that it leads into our relationship with Jesus. For me, especially as a man, I wanted to fix things. I want not not necessarily hanging things on the wall. Hear me out. But I want to fix problems. I want to solve problems. And when I couldn't do that, I felt inadequate. I began to feel as though I could not fix the problem that I created in my life. Part of, my, part of my journey is, is wrestling with pornography for most of my life and wrestling with, I, 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 I'm, I know I'm saved, I know Jesus loves me, but I keep falling back into sin. I, I know Jesus, what he said, on his, I, know, I know that his salvation work on the cross is for me, and yet I keep turning my back against him. I keep missing the mark of trying to be like, I've been a Christian for most of my life, and yet I, I get to the place where I've missed the mark with Jesus. I, I, I begin to feel as though he's going to save me. I've, done the, I've checked off the things in my life to be like, I have attained salvation, and yet he's reluctant to forgive me. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. Maybe it's, maybe it's whatever's happened in your story. Maybe it was from a relationship you were in. Maybe it was the relationship with your parents, or your siblings, that has led you to the place that maybe there's a distorted view of how you see God because your goal is just you want to you want to serve the Lord right you want to make him happy you don't want to he has given you life and yet you get to this place where you realize I'm having to work so 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 hard for this I've gotten to this place in my life where I truly believe God couldn't love me fully because I couldn't hold up my end of the bargain How could God, how could someone love me so much when I'm so reminded of the filthy things that I've done, I'm so ashamed of the things that I've allowed into my life, that a good God who is so pure and holy, how in the world could he be near me? I couldn't get my act together. I could not help but miss the mark. I guarantee you more than likely, your story has somewhere in there where you believed and you felt that you have missed the mark in loving God back. Maybe if you, you've believed God must not like you because you've prayed, you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed for something, and He's never answered your prayers. Or, to be worse, He's answered your prayers, but not for you. Is people in your life and you begin to see those things being answered in their life. And you begin to wonder, does God love them more than me? What am I doing wrong? God must not love me very much. Or maybe you've never actually believed in God. You've never been a follower of Jesus. You've never decided to be a, a Christian because you look at the Christians in your life that you know and they have there are so many things that they wrestle with that you're like, what's, what's the point? Or maybe you've never felt like God was happy with you. You grew up in a home where you felt like you had to earn your parents' love and affection and attention. So now that is translated into your relationship with God. And you had to earn the way your, your dad's attention to get him to look at you, your, your mom's love. And now that's translated in how God sees you. And so you work hard every day. You grit your, you, you grit your teeth and you clench your fists as hard as you can in order to try to get God's attention in everything you do feels like it's not enough. A.W. Tozer, a very famous theologian, uh, once said, what comes to mind when we think of God is often the most important thing about us. Said, in other words, when we think about God, the first thing that comes into our head is how we view God. Guys, this this is one of the most convicting things for me. Because the the point here is, when you think of God, if the very first thing you think of is not how much he radically loves you, then something in your paradigm of how you think of God is off. Something of how we understand Jesus Christ is off if the answer is not how much he loves you. That's what we're gonna talk about tonight. Like I said, this is part of me, guys, This is part of my journey of understanding how much Jesus radically loves me. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a a few passages of Scripture. If you have your Bible, thank you for bringing your Bible. If you have um, the good old uh, Bible app, you can whip that bad boy out. We're going to spend some time in Scripture. My hope is tonight that you will leave feeling the joy of the Lord like you've never felt before. And if you're like, what in the world does the joy of the Lord mean? You're in the right place. Um, we're gonna be looking at Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. This is a, of all the passages in scripture where Jesus is describing himself in the gospels, this one passage, instead of just describing himself and, and who he claims to be and what authority he has, in this passage, Jesus actually opens up his heart and we begin to see his, who his, what his innermost being is like, what he's most passionate about, what, what motivates him here? And I believe that as we unpack this, it's gonna to begin to, under, some things in our lives are gonna to begin to click into place as we truly understand the heart of Jesus, the heart of Christ. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30 says, "'Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy.'" and my burden is light. Jesus starts with an invitation to us and describes who the invitation is for. All who labor and are heavy laden. Labor implies burdens that we have placed on ourselves. Whether that be the pressure of guilt that you've put on yourself of trying to to stop sinning in a certain area of your life or trying to do anything through self-sufficiency. That's what it's referring to. The burden of feeling like you must make God happy, the burden of sin in your life that you always are so reminded of. Heavy laden implies the burdens that have been placed on you by others. Jesus here is more than likely referring to the way the religious leaders of the time would make these un, unimaginable uh, requirements for people to be accounted as righteous. In the Old Testament and the Old Covenant, Uh, There were sacrifices that had to be done. And what the religious leaders of the time would do is not just do what God had commanded, but they would add all these things, temple tax, all these things. And it made it almost impossible for people to be made right with God. Jesus says, I will give you rest from that. Now, notice, though, that Jesus doesn't specifically say any of you who sin. Instead, he implies it. He doesn't have to say all who sin come to me. Instead, he implies it by saying all those who work so hard to make it right. Because otherwise, you wouldn't be doing that. You're working so hard to make it right because you have a knowledge and understanding that something's not right inside of me. And when you begin to do that, guys, can I tell you something? That is the Holy Spirit working in your life. If you've ever felt convicted for some things going on, it is, not, it is less of the enemy and it it's more of the Holy Spirit and the Jesus saying, I want to pull you in towards me because I deeply, deeply love you. So, and that's our first principle. Your sin does not disqualify you to come to Jesus. What qualifies you to come to Jesus is his word, come. Come to me. That is what qualifies you. and He gives it to every one of us. Now, notice, though, that it doesn't read, I will exchange your rest for diligent servitude, that you will pay me back for the years of sin in your life. That's not what he says. Jesus simply says, come, and I will give you rest. It is a gift. Jesus offers you rest and relationship with him as a gift, not as an exchange or anything you can do, because you could never, never earn it. That's why it's a gift, It's offered offered freely to us. Further down, we read that the Savior of the world, the mighty God describes himself as gentle and lowly. Gentle and lowly. What in the world does gentle and lowly mean? Well, the Greek word gentle is mentioned only a few times and most often translated as meek, humble, uh, gentle, right? But the thing is, lowly kind of sounds the same way. The meaning of the word lowly overlaps with the word gentle, together communicating a single reality about Jesus's heart. The specific word lowly is generally translated as humble, as we see in the New Testament in James 4, 6, where it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But typically throughout the New Testament, this Greek word refers not to humility as a virtue, but to humility in the sense of destitution or being thrust downward in the circumstances of life. So in Mary's song, uh, while pregnant with Jesus, for example, this word is used to speak of the way God exalts those who are of humble estate. Paul in Romans uses the same Greek word uh, when he tells us to not be haughty, uh, but associate with the lowly, referring to the socially unimpressive, those who are not um, the life of the party, but rather when they walk in, the host kind of, oh, they're here. It, it, it's, it's, it's that type of mentality. And the point of Jesus saying this is that he's accessible for all of his amazing glory and his dazzling holiness. No one in human history has ever been more accessible than Jesus. It also implies that He is not just accessible, but that he comes to us and lives with us in our filth, and cleanses us before we even knew it. Dane Ortlund says it like this, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come to Jesus. If you look through all the gospels, you will see the character of Jesus demonstrated again and again and again. Whenever there was someone hurting or broken, that's where Jesus went. Whenever there was someone in need, hurting, physically uh, not well, who's sick, even dead, that's where Jesus went. Thomas Goodwin, a Puritan who wrote a book in the 1600s called The Heart of Christ, even argues that Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. And guys, this is where, as I was, um, we were planning on this this message, and I was uh, in the process of, you know, trying to put this together. This is the, the, this is the quote that I read. I read, I was reading late at night, and um, Jordan had gone to sleep. It was about 11.30, and I'm, I'm, I'm reading, and I'm, I'm studying. I broke down in tears when I, I, I heard and I read that the Lord, Jesus, gets more joy when I come to him with my sin and my problems. It was revolutionary to me. Let me explain it to you. Christ isn't annoyed when we come to him with our problems. He's not exhausted or drained by us constantly coming to him with our burdens. His heart is filled and rejoices all the more when we approach him. This is where it comes from. It's Hebrews 12, 2. The writer of Hebrews calls Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What does the word joy refer to? It refers to to the joy of Jesus' children being brought back to him. So how can we read, it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. How in the world could joy and enduring the cross be in the same sentence? As if he knew that his body was being healed. Look further down in Ephesians 1, uh, 22 through 23, it, it, it describes Christ as the head of the body of the church. So then we can understand that we are the church, and when we are being healed, it means Christ's body is being healed. When I come to him in repentance and ask, Lord, would you you heal me from this, this filth that I've been living in? His body is being healed. I want to be really, really clear. If you've never experienced the love of Jesus, that is the same love that is offered to you. If you've been a follower of Jesus all your life, and there are strongholds in your life that you have fought and tried to get rid of and you love Jesus and you come to church and you pray and you read your Bible and yet there's still things that you struggle with that same grace is offered to you the same grace the same God the same Jesus that is his heart for you so are you are are we beginning to see the difference in how how many of us have viewed God and how he actually is this radical love is what truthfully actually changes people We see a final example of of this in John 13. Jesus was eating with his disciples. In verse three, it says, Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. He knew what he was about to do. He was about to go and be crucified. He was going to put himself on the cross and substitute himself in our place and die for our sins. And as he's thinking, he knows exactly he's gonna go up and he immediately, uh, three days later, rise from the dead and ascend into heaven and be seated at the right hand of the Father. You know what he does? He doesn't sit there and puff out his chest. No, he's, as he, Paul, John describes his heart as he, he's, he's thinking these thoughts and he immediately gets up, takes off his outer garment, gets on his hands and knees and begins to wash his disciples' feet. He begins to wash his disciples' feet. To give you context of the culture, They did not have Nikes back then, which was probably better. They probably had better feet. Every time I wear Nikes, my feet hurt. But they wore sandals or they were barefoots. Their feet are always dirty. Wherever they're going, it was always dirty. And so it was customary whenever you walked into a home, there was a basin of water and you cleaned your feet. Depending on the wealth of the home, a servant would come and, um, you know, wash your feet for you. So that had already happened. So it was completely radical for Jesus in the middle of dinner to get up after he's been talking about all these things that he knows is about to happen, to get up and start washing his disciples' feet. Why in the world would he be doing this? How do we understand what Jesus is doing? Is that he's demonstrating his heart for us. John is trying to show us Jesus' thoughts that they were full of redemptive love for his people. He was not just demonstrating what he can do here on earth, is that what he can do when he is in heaven for us today, that he will clean you, he will make you whole, he will bring redemption into your life. He does not mind being near our filth, getting down on his hands and knees, being gentle and lowly. Lowly, it means destitute. It means being on the ground on your knees as a homeless person would be at that time someone who could not work, they had to beg for food. That's where Jesus is. So as you can be reminded of all the things that you've done wrong and the shame that you feel, the guilt that you feel, that's where Jesus is for you. It was Christ's joy that he went to the cross so that his people would be forgiven, that their debt would be paid for and erased. Guys, if there's ever been a time in your life or right now that you've secretly believed that Christ may be upset with you, He's going to forgive you, but he's going to be reluctant to forgive you. That deep down you're wondering, I wonder how long it's going to be until I've, I've, I've ran out of grace. You know, I, part of my um, early 20s was I, I felt like I knew the promises that God had put in my life that he had called me to. I knew the things that I felt like he was, man, this is, you know, I have such great plans for you, um, you hear the scripture talking about, I have, I have great plans for you, plans to prosper you. You know, I, I knew all those things, and I, but I still live with strongholds in my life of sin. And deep down, if I can be honest, guys, I believe that one by one, those promises are being taken away because of how I, 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 could, not, I could not figure out how to surrender myself. And the change comes when Jesus is able to say, I I'm going to heal you. You cannot do this for yourself. I will do it myself. If you've ever believed Christ is secretly angry with you and you have to work so, so hard to make him happy, guys, tonight, surrounded by other men who have more than likely felt the exact same thing you have, tonight is the night to lay that down at the feet of Jesus. Your heavenly Father's arms are open wide. He is gentle and lowly, ready to embrace you. He wants you to come to him so he can love you. If you've known him all your life and yet you've been wrestling with shame and guilt and you've been tormenting yourself because there's things in your life, even small things that you want to get right and yet you still feel like, I'm not hitting the mark. It's time to lay that burden down and to no longer hold on to that. If you've never known Jesus, if you've never, never known Jesus that he is passionately in love with you. I, talk, I'm the, uh, I also serve as our young adult pastor at, um, uh, here at Covenant. And I, I, I often add this into our message that Christ is in the, the redemption business. If you look at the first verse of scripture, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you look at the first verse of the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation, something in Revelation, I can't remember the number right now, but it says, and then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Verse five, I think it's chapter 21, it says, and behold, I'm making all things new. So what can we deduce from that? God is in the business of redeeming creation. You were made in Christ's image, brother. Whether you are 75, whether you're 13 in the room, you were made in his image. And he desires to redeem every single part of you. It is not enough that you can just know, okay, I can go to heaven now. I'm saved God's not angry with me or I've got, as we call it, fire insurance. There's so much more to understanding who you are in Jesus than just saying, I don't have to go to hell. There is abundant life for you to live in freedom that radically changes who you are.